we wish y'all a happy new year and we hope that uh, you'll have great health this year and God will continue to bless every one of you. Uh, this morning we're going to continue our study in 1 Peter chapter 1 and thus far we have learned that we are pilgrims in this, in this world and it's through the gospel that we became uh, God's elect and that we are uh, looking forward to our salvation. And so Peter's trying to hammer home in this chapter, do not lose your <clears throat> salvation. 1 Peter chapter 1, part 3. Beginning with verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesies of the grace that should come unto you, and so the prophets wrote the Old Testament but could not see God's master plan for salvation. They wrote of the Messiah. They wrote of the kingdom. But they didn't know truly what God's plan was. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 4, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And so Paul is revealing the mystery of God in his letter to the Ephesians. Verse 5, he says, Which in other ages was not made unto the sons of men, that would be the people of God, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, remember, it was given in the first century to aid the apostles and those Prophets, remember that the gift of prophecy is one of the gifts of the Spirit. And so it's the other dispensation of times. That's what he means by other ages. The patriarchal age and the mosaic age, the mystery was in the scriptures. They didn't have a full understanding of that mystery. However, in the Christian dispensation, the Holy Spirit is revealing the mystery of the Old Testament through the apostles and prophets of the first century. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. Well, now he's going to tell us what that mystery is. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. <clears throat> the church was the mystery. Gentiles and Jews would be united in one body called by the same gospel. The Old Testament scriptures were a stumbling block to the Jews. That's what, what Jesus told them on, in John chapter 5, verse 39. He says, search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And so he's saying, you search the scriptures because you think because you're of the lineage of Abraham, you're going to receive salvation. But see, those, those scriptures are actually, actually testifying to me, the true Savior, the Messiah. And so the Jews rejected Jesus. They rejected the Savior. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, on the day of Pentecost, Peter says, Therefore let all the house of Israel, that's the whole nation, know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. They awaited the Messiah and crucified him instead of embracing him. 
Instead of embracing the very words of Jesus Christ, they said he was a blasphemer and it, to the point of, of envy, they uh, crucified him on that cruel cross. The mystery has been revealed in the New Testament and the scriptures are a stumbling block to many today. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. This is God's plan. This is His plan. It's written in the Holy Scriptures. There is one body. Well, if you go to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, you'll find out that that one body is the church. One spirit. Even as you're calling, one hope you're calling. One Lord, one faith. There's only one faith. It's not our personal faith. It's the faith. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Only one faith that puts one into one true church. And that occurs at baptism, at one baptism. Which gives you that one hope. First Peter chapter 1, verse 11. Now he's still talking about the prophets. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. And so in the old times, they didn't know when it was going to happen. They didn't really know what was going to happen. In Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so Isaiah prophesied of the last days, but he knew not when that would be. However, he gave us the location that the church would have its beginning, and that would be in Jerusalem. The prophet Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, verse 28. But there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets and make it known to the king Nebuchadnezzar that what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And so God's revealing secrets. Well, that's what's happening in the New Testament. That mystery is being revealed in these New Testament scriptures. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. And in the, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break into pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Well, Daniel gave us the time frame. Uh, when you go through uh, that statue, the last part being the Roman kings, and so God's kingdom would be set up during the Roman kings, that's when the church, the kingdom, would come into existence. And so now Daniel has narrowed that time frame. It's going to happen sometime between 63 B.C. and 476 A.D. when the Romans uh, were the world power. In Mark chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus is also going to reveal something to us. And he said unto them, Verily I say to, unto thee, unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And so if he's speaking to living people, 
He's telling them here, the kingdom's coming very soon. You remember when they were to go preach, they were to preach, repent for the kingdom is what? Nigh. But he's also telling us that that kingdom's going to come with power. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, the prophet Joel writes, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And so Joel spoke of God pouring out his spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when, before Jesus ascends to the Father, Jesus is telling his apostles, but ye shall what? Receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so they're going to receive power. Very soon after Jesus' ascension, the Holy Ghost is going to descend upon them and they're going to receive power. See, the Holy Spirit's who gives the power. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. We have our time frame. The day of Pentecost, 33 AD. And so it's during the Romans' kings. In Acts chapter 2, verse 5, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Remember, all nations were going to flow onto Jerusalem. And so at the day of Pentecost, all men from every nation is... is uh, gathered at Jerusalem to celebrate um, the Pentecost. And so now we have our location that we've been told by Isaiah, Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And so now we know that the last days that Isaiah had mentioned is coming to the forefront in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, 33 AD. Back to our text in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. He says, the spirit of Christ which was in them. And so it may be uh, difficult. You say, well, Christ wasn't, wasn't here yet. It wasn't. But, but notice... How did the prophets of the Old Testament have the Spirit of Christ? Excuse me. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. <clears throat> for Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just and the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. And so a lot of people say, well, this is when he went to paradise and he was preaching to them. But this is, you got to read the next verse. Verse 20, which sometimes were disobedient. Who were? The spirits in prison. When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. And so Christ was preaching unto the spirits in prison in the days of Noah. But who was doing the preaching? In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah preached repentance to a disobedient world. Christ made his appeal to them 
through his servant Noah. Just as Christ made his appeal through the prophets to the nation of Israel. It's always been about repentance coming back to God. It's the same thing that we read in the New Testament. It's, it's said over and over and over again about repentance. You have to change from your evil ways and you have to become servants of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. It testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, when Paul's running to the church at Corinth, he says, For I delivered unto you first all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to what? The Scriptures, the Old Testament. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Old Testament, the Scriptures. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, well, that told us of his, him um, suffering, him being buried and raised again, but how about that glory? See, there should be some glory that follows Christ thereafter, the suffering. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. At this time, Jesus was glorified. Christ's ascension was spoken by the prophet Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, that be God the Father. And they brought him there before him, and there was given him, who? Christ. Dominion and glory, there's that glory, and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom that shall not be destroyed. That's the very thing that Daniel was talking about in Daniel chapter 2 about that kingdom that will not be destroyed. But when Jesus ascended to the Father in the clouds, he was given glory. That body was glorified. That's that body that we seek. First Peter chapter 1 verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us did they minister the things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desired to look into. <clears throat> and so the prophets knew of the Messiah, but God revealed to the apostle who the Messiah was in the flesh. He revealed to John the Baptist who he was in the flesh. He said, whoever the Spirit the uh, sins of uh, or um, rest upon, he's the Messiah, and so that's when John said, "Behold, the Lamb of God who take away the sin of the world." It was made known unto John the Baptist. Before that, he knew not that Jesus Christ was the Savior. He knew him only by his blood relationship, being his cousin. In John chapter one verse fourteen, uh, you find out in verse one that. Uh, the Word, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Well, you find out that Jesus Christ has always been deity, but then you find out in verse 14 that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus was begotten of the Father. We had talked about this before. 
In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time was come, when it was time, when God said it's the perfect time to send the Messiah into the world, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. And so he was born of a woman, but he was under the law of Christ. I mean the law of Moses, my apologies. But it was at God's appointed time. The Jews say, oh, no, 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 God made a mistake, he's coming back. God don't make mistakes. God said it was the time and he sent him. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, uh, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost set down from heaven. And so again, these Christians were not disciples of Christ when Jesus walked the earth. They became disciples of Christ after he ascended. The Holy Ghost assisted in the first century preaching Christ to the unbelievers. There was a purpose for the Holy Ghost. And we've, we are seeing it laid out so beautifully in Peter's writings. <clears throat> in John chapter 15, verse 26, it just confirms what Jesus had told them, his apostles. But when the Comforter is come, that's talking about the Holy Ghost, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. Jesus goes on and says he will not testify of himself, but he will testify of me. Again, in uh, verse 12 of our text, which things the angels desire to look into. And so the angels, those heavenly beings that served God, they wondered what this mystery was and they wanted to know. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, when Paul's writing again to the church of Ephesus, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, that's talking about angels, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. But they didn't know it until it was revealed. They desired to know it. So now the angels know what God was planning from the very beginning of creation. That he would, he would make a way for mankind to be saved. And it was going to be through his son. That's why we read about his son so early in the text in the garden. <coughs> he makes that promise to Satan and says that he will... Um, bruise his heel, but that Jesus Christ will crush his head. It's the church that's bought by the blood of Christ. Remember, we have been um, redeemed by something so precious. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, Paul said, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Well, in, in chapter 5, he's talking about the relationship of man and wife. And he says that Jesus gave himself for the church. He says, love your wives such as Christ has, who gave himself for the church. And then he also says in another verse that he is what? The savior of the body. People say he's the savior of the world. He is the savior of the world. But the only ones that uh, tap into the benefits from him being the savior are those that obey his gospel and be put into his church. One body. It's a stumbling block. 
It's right here in the text and it's a stumbling block for so many. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, the verse that Frank read for us this morning. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is, brought, is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this phrase, gird up your loins of your mind, we've kind of heard this before. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, when Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, stand therefore having your loins gird about with truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. <clears throat> and so Paul tells the brethren in Ephesus to put on the whole armor of God, girding up their loins with truth. But what is truth? John chapter 17, verse 17. We go to this verse many times, but it's so very plain. When Jesus is praying for unity to the Father, and he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. Not only is he praying for his apostles at that time, but he's also praying for those that will believe in the future. Unity. How do you have unity? It's by the plan. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. And so Peter is telling them, let God's word dwell richly in your mind. That is your spiritual heart. That's why he says, gird up the loins of your mind. And so many times we'll go and we will go through the whole armor of God and we'll show how it's all just the word of God. But when I saw this verse and it says, gird up the loins of your mind, just open it more clearly. And we're talking about putting the word of God in your heart, your spiritual heart. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Be sober. And so he's telling them to put the word of God in their mind and be sober. But we need to know what this word sober means. The Greek word is to watch. To watch. Watch for whom? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Later in this book, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You got to put the word of God in here so that when you see Satan, he'll flee. We'll get to that in a minute. What is the armor of God to protect us from? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Well, look up the word, the wiles, and what does that mean? Lying in wait. The devil's lying in wait, waiting for you to mess up so that he can take your hope away from you. The devil is as a lion, lying in wait, ready to devour Christians. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. Remember, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. I am come that they may have life and they, that they may have it more abundantly. The devil is looking to steal something from you that you that you might be destroyed. So he's looking to take something from you and when he takes that away, then you're going to be destroyed. What is it? I kind of already gave it, but 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says, and hope to the end. 
That's what he's after. He's after our hope. Remember, the hope is the anchor of the soul. Without our hope, we will drift away from God and we will drift towards the devil. James chapter 4, verse 7. James writes, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God's will. That is the word of God. Resist the devil just as Jesus did. It is written. It is written. It is written. When we know something contrary to the word of God, we have to say, I'm not going to do it because it's written in the word of God. If I do this, I run a risk of losing my hope. Losing my salvation. <clears throat> Again in verse 13. For the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God's grace, remember, is unmerited favor. In Romans chapter 6 verse 23. For the wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so God's grace is going to, that, that grace that's going to be brought to us is going to be eternal life. This passage teaches us that we do not have or have not already obtained eternal life yet. It's saying that it's going to be brought unto you at the judgment. We have it only in a promise and a hope, the very hope that the devil hopes to steal away from us. Verse 14. Now he's telling them what you need to be as obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. That word of obedience, I kind of messed that up, it means submission. And so we should be submitting, obedient to the will of God. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And it was the Father's will that Jesus endured that cup of suffering. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, when Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and being found in the fashion as man, Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We have to remember of what was said about crucifixion and how wicked it was and how cursed the man that is hung on the, on the cross is. Nothing of those statements is true about our Savior. He took upon himself a horrific death. But Jesus' obedience took a humble spirit. How much humility did Jesus have? Philippians chapter, chapter 2, verse 6. Who being in the form of God, remember he was the, the word, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was deity. Thought it not Robert to be equal with God. He was equal with God. He's deity. But Jesus was the creator. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 when Paul's writing to the church at Colossae for by him, who is he talking about? Jesus Christ. By him were all things created that are in heaven 
We already had spoken about that earlier, about the angels. And that are in earth. We are of the earth. Visible, that would be us. Invisible, that would be angels. Whether that be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Guess what our creator did? Philippians chapter 2 verse 7. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Men. The creator became the creation. His earthly family was not wealthy. He did not come into a kingdom already. He was from the family of a carpenter. Luke chapter 2 verse 24. We can see it a little more clearly when, when uh, Mary goes and, and offers the offering. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so she made her offering of, of two turtle doves or two young pigeons. But let's read what the law said in Leviticus chapter 12 verse 8. And if she be not able to bring a lamb. See, if God really wanted a lamb sacrifice for the, uh, the one that first opened the matrix. We had read about that in the book of Exodus. But if she couldn't afford a lamb, then she shall bring two turtles or two young pigeons, the one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. The turtle doves or pigeon were most often bought by those of less wealth. And so we can see how he humbled himself. Made himself of no reputation. <clears throat> but he also humbled himself to be a servant. Matthew chapter 20 verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. If you look to that, that's just about serving. Uh, he, he came not to be served, but he came to serve. That's what Christianity is all about. Serving. Whether it be God or each other. We are to have that same humble, obedient mind that Christ had towards God's will. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, that's what Paul says. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. That humble, obedient servant. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, Peter says, Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. That phrase, fastening, fastening, fashioning yourselves according, means to conform to. Don't conform to your former lust. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when Paul's writing to the church of Rome, he says, and be not conformed to this world. Don't give in to it. Don't be like it. But be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect the will of God. Well, remember what the world is. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, John writes, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, these are avenues of sin. This, so everything that is of the world is sinful. And the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
And so Paul's saying don't conform to this world. Peter's saying don't conform to your old way of life. Your old way of life is wrong. And so what is he stressing here? Repentance. Without truly repenting of your former self, you're going to lose your hope. And at that day, you're not going to receive your salvation. In Romans chapter 6, verse 16, Paul says, Know you not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death. And so if you obey the flesh, you're going to sin. Well, that's going to lead to spiritual death. But if you obey righteousness, it's going to lead to what? Life. <clears throat> obedience to the devil yields sin, but obedience to God yields righteousness. First Peter chapter 1, verse 14, he says that you did it ignorantly before the gospel. When they obeyed the gospel, they were made aware that sin is against God and repentance is required. They're no longer ignorant. Luke chapter 3, verse 8, when John the Baptist is, is preaching, repent before the, before the kingdom is nigh, John the Baptist tells those people in that day when they ask him, well, what can we do? He says, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able to these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. <clears throat> Repentant and involves more than just saying you are sorry. It requires a true change of life. And that's what John will continue to list in Luke chapter 3. He'll show them how to truly have a change of life. I think we'll stop there this morning. If perhaps you have not had the privilege to put Christ on in baptism. To obtain that hope, we offer that invitation today. It is God's invitation that starts by hearing the wrong, uh, word of God, Romans 10, 17. Our faith is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, uh, John 3, 16. We have to have repentance. We talked about that very um, intently this morning. Jesus says, I tell you, neighbor, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. In Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5, you must confess Jesus is the Son of Man before men, uh, that Jesus is the Son of God before men. That is uh, Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33. You must allow someone to immerse you in water to have your sins washed away, Acts 22, 16. At that point, you are calling on the name of the Lord through complete obedience of His will, His plan. And then you are added to his church. As we have seen earlier, you are baptized into Christ. Being in Christ is being in the one body of Christ. But we must live faithful until the end. And so that's what Peter's really hanging home in this chapter is you got to remain faithful so that you don't lose the salvation that you have at this time. We, are, we can, uh, without a doubt, say that we are saved because we have obeyed the plan. But it'll be a sad day if we go to the day of judgment and we find out that we lost it along the way. Because we didn't have true, obedient hearts to God's will. And so if we can, uh, perhaps if you haven't made the gospel, but there's some things that come between you and God if you want to be restored at this time. If we can help you in any way, if you'll come to the front, it's together, we stand the same.
song of encouragement.